This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Ryan Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Oh, well, anyway, thank you, everybody, for joining us for another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fancy Hockey Podcast, the best fancy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who at one point owned Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky. With me, as always, the fancy hockey robot himself, Brian Kong. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. So sad about Ryan Getzlav. Right to kick off the show, we had this whole all Anaheim start beginning with what a success he's going to be. He's healthy again. Everything's good. And then just before we record, gone. Yeah, not happy news. Obviously, I guess we shouldn't complain too much. It's probably the Ryan Getzoff owners and Ryan Getzoff himself and Anaheim Ducks fans. Maybe they have priority over us for complaining. But still, come on, we prepared a whole show here, assuming that this guy was back. But okay, we'll get to him. We'll talk about the Ducks. We've got a lot to get to this week, actually, Brian. We've got outjuries, like injuries, like a whole bunch of weird line changes for a bunch of teams that I want to talk about. So we've got a big show. We're going to try to help all of our listeners to make the best fantasy decisions that they can for the upcoming week. Before we get into it all, let's mention that we are presented by a website that helps people make the smartest fantasy hockey decisions every day, and that's DauberHockey.com. It's your source for fantasy hockey news and resources and tools, such as starting goalies and line combinations, everything you need to be successful in fantasy hockey. You'll find it at DauberHockey.com. You will, and Elon, rumor has it that you're going to be referencing them tonight during the episode. You can actually check line combos through the games, which is very handy, especially for our purposes, since we cannot watch them while podcasting, although we could... I imagine it might affect the product. Yeah. Well, also, when you're watching a game, you don't exactly know what's going with the line combos. Like, I'm not like really like zoning in on every player's number and keeping track of who's playing with who. It's a lot easier to just check it out on Frozen Pools. Okay, Brian, let's get started. Like I said, I wanted to start with Outjuries as the first fancy hockey headline of the week and start in Anaheim with the majestic return of Ryan Getzlaff, who had a goal and an assist in the 6-2 win over Philly on Tuesday. Nothing in the 8-3 loss to Florida on Thursday, but then three assists yesterday in the 4-1 win over Tampa. But looks like he was injured again today. In the game against Carolina, he left early with an upper body injury. We're recording this at 8 o'clock. We don't have any more information. We don't know how long he'll be out. Maybe by the time you listen to this, you'll know more about what's going on with Ryan Getzlaff. But man, like... 
I had this whole thing prepared to say, like, now's the time maybe to jump on in. Like, last year, he had 73 points in 74 games. It doesn't appear like he's slowing down at all, even though he's, like, 32 or whatever. He's doing really well when healthy. I was going to suggest, Brian, that maybe he would be a good target for people in dynasty leagues hoping to contend for this year. You know, like, a lot of people in these leagues where people care so much about the future, maybe they undervalue someone who could help you now once the player's, like, in his 30s. So I was thinking maybe send away some youth in exchange for Ryan Getzlaff, who seems to be close to a point-per-game player. All that kind of goes out the window now, at least for the short term. It is kind of concerning. This is now, I guess, the third time he's been injured this season. So uh, now I'm getting a little bit nervous about him. We'll find out what this injury is all about. Also, this was supposed to be good news for some other players on Anaheim. Like the top line was stacked yesterday with Getzlaff, Perry, Raquel. The top power play had those guys along with Montour and a guy named Andre Kasha. And so now with Getzlaff injured, things obviously had to get shaken around. It looks like Derek Grant and Nick Ritchie took turns playing with Raquel and Perry. There were actually no power plays for Anaheim today. So we can't report on any of that. Brian, okay. Give me a bit of a respite here as I try to figure out what to do now that gets off injured. Okay, well, first off, this isn't like old man Getzloff getting repeatedly injured because, well, he's old and frail. He got a puck to the face, which is a pretty random occurrence. And, I mean, the good news is, if you want to try and look at it that way, if it's not serious, like, that is something you get pulled from a game for. But sometimes, you know, you just wear the jaw protector or a face mask and you can play before long. It's not like waiting for one of your limbs or joints to heal. I feel like that's a really kind of macabre way of looking at at this injury though he, i had someone the other day telling me that you know his fantasy team was not doing well a friend of mine and one of the players he mentioned that was not cutting the mustard for his squad was ryan Getzlaff. and i just said hang on like he's been injured you got to be patient he's still got it when he's healthy so uh hopefully he's uh he's, he's back healthy before long but there are some other ducks still worth talking about elon are there not Yes, for sure. And actually, I didn't even realize that his injury is from getting hit in the face with a puck. Hopefully, that's the kind of thing, like you say, that maybe he'll be back in time for the next game. So maybe let's talk moving forward as if Getzlaff is back. And then listeners, if it turns out that he's like out for the season or whatever, you could just skip ahead for five minutes or so. But okay, Corey Perry is someone who was back playing with Getzlaff after he came back from his injury. And Perry's someone who only had 53 points last year. It was looking as if like maybe we're at the end of valuable Corey Perry. But he spent a lot of last year away from Ryan Getzlaff. And clearly, Getzloff is the main offensive driver on the team. Uh, this year, Perry had a slow start, but of course, Getzloff was injured for a lot. And with Getzloff back, he had three assists in his last three games. He had actually four points in his last four games overall. Nothing today, maybe again, because Ryan Getzloff is out. But like while Corey Perry is back in this spot playing with Getzloff on the top line of the top power play, do we expect him to put up points like he used to? Like 53 points last year was pretty disappointing. Do you think that he can improve on that this year? So here's the thing. I want to say, look at what Perry did last year. By the way, Elon, I had him at 53 points, so I'm not sure where that contradiction in the the numbers is coming from. Maybe you can clear it up somehow. Anyway, 52, 53 points in 82 games, 19 goals, 34 assists. And so I'd look at that and say, hey, Corey Perry's getting older. Don't expect him to outscore that number because, well, A, he's a player type that normally doesn't age well, and B, he is moving along that aging curve, being in his age 32 year. But I do wonder if last year was falling a bit too far. Yeah, his ice time and deployment did hurt, but he also saw a 5% drop in shooting percentage, which again, is sort of characteristic of his player type. That's what happens to these guys. The the shots just stop going in when they're high percentage converters without too much skating ability. But maybe it was still a little bit dramatic of a drop. Part of the drop might have been, at least it looks like, he was in a more stationary position 
when he was on the ice. Most of his shots came right from around the net, whereas in previous seasons, they sort of stretched out towards the face-off dot. Uh, that said, so far this year, his on-ice shooting percentage is really high, so he's not as good as he looks right now either. I think I'll have him right around 55 for the season. I'd put last season's number as the floor of what I'd expect, with, of course, more value when he gets that ice with Getzlaff that he was getting before Getzlaff got injured. Yeah, I would say, well, Getzlaff is out. I don't know. Well, Getzlaff is around. I think Corey Perry is going to put up a 60-point pace. It seems likely. Like, Getzlaff, if he could be close to a 70-plus point pace, and if Perry's on the top line, top power play with him, that's what I would go for. But like you say, overall, you know, with all this time without Getzlaff, and then maybe there'll be times during the season where the lines get shuffled around, I think you're right that probably another repeat of last year is going to be likely in the cards. Okay, another guy who last year, you know, I remember I was really excited about him. We had lots of debates about him throughout the season. Ricard Raquel, he had this really great year but marred by maybe a high shooting percentage that you thought would eventually go down anyway Raquel so far has seven points in 11 games on the year like I said going into today he was on the top line and top power play with Getzlaff and Perry so it's looking good seemed to me like he's a solid bet for like 55 60 points at this point right like he's not going to go back to being fantasy irrelevant he's a really valuable guy yeah very valuable guy and I'll take him over Corey Perry he's more reliable deployment wise and just skill wise on the whole too and then we got to talk about who is this Andre Cache guy who, by the way, I'm getting compliments in the chat room for having pronounced his name right. So thank you very much. I didn't get any help except Brian actually wrote to me before we recorded telling me how to pronounce it. And he said it was like Kasha, like Kasha and bow ties, which I thought was a funny way to describe it. But anyway, that's him. His name is spelled K-A-S-E, by the way, for the people who now are going to try to look him up after we're talking about him and have no idea how to find him. Anyways, he was on the top power play yesterday. He actually scored a goal today. He's up to six points in eight games on the season. Does he have a scoring pedigree? Like, I got to admit, I didn't really know much about him. I know he played on the team last year. Is he someone that you'd be looking to stream? Again, kind of like assuming that Ryan Getzlaff is back and he's still on the top power play with him? Yeah, potentially. He's someone who was not coming into the league with a huge scoring pedigree, a very late round pick, seventh round, 200 and something overall back in 2014. And Cash had 15 points in 53 games last year, which occasional turns of good deployment. But he did deserve that call up as, as unfortunate as his NHL production looked. He deserved to be there after being a point per game guy with AHL San Diego to begin the season. Kasha's pedigree as a scorer is, as of yet, mostly unknown. He's coming out of, I think it's the Czech League. But he is, at least looks like a guy who can fill out a top six spot. I think the Ducks actually probably appreciate him just as much uh, for his ability to carry the team's second highest shot attempts for percentage since the start of last year even when playing with the likes of Antoine Vermette most of the time. So uh, that doesn't really affect his fantasy production. But on the whole, I would stream him. Not desperately. I'm not going to drop anybody certain for him. He has three goals on 13 shots. Actually, he scored again tonight. Four goals on, so 14 or 15 shots. Whatever. In any case, that shooting percentage isn't quite going to hold. But while he's on that top power play, he does make a good option if you're looking for, uh, for a replacement for a previous streamer who's not doing the job for you. Yeah, definitely makes sense. Yeah, anyone on the top power play on it, that's a power play that's doing well, is worth streaming. And that, that, that's what brings us to the defense on Anaheim. And we have Brandon Montour, who's still been the guy on the top power play. He has been there, even though like Vatnin came back, Lindholm came back. Actually, Vatnin uh, didn't play today. So Vatnin came back, Sammy Vatnin I'm talking about, yesterday for Anaheim's game. Then today he was scratched again. I guess he's really getting eased in. And also Sammy Vatnin didn't get power play time, didn't have any shots 
yesterday. So I don't really know what's going on with him. He doesn't seem like someone especially appealing to me. And, you know, Hampus Lindholm is back, but he was never really used as an offensive guy, even though at this point he has an assist today. He's up to a goal and two assists in four games played. So I am curious to know what your thoughts are on him. But I think the real sort of ending point is that Brandon Montour is still on the top power play, even though all these players are back. Of course, Cam Fowler's injured, which is how Montour got this spot. But yeah, Montour had a goal and an assist yesterday, both on the power play. Nothing today, but he has five points in his last five games. He's up to seven points in 11 games on the year. We suggested adding Montour last week as someone who might get on that top power play with Fowler injured. But at this point, he seems like a must add, I would assume, at least as long as Fowler is gone. Yeah, must add, as for the other guys, Vatnin's someone I held all of last year to varying degrees of satisfaction, mostly dissatisfaction, but sometimes he would give me a couple shots, a couple blocks, and be able to put up a point every so often, but you're not expecting huge offensive production. Same thing for Hampus Lindholm. I'll watch him uh, and see what he can do in that depth chart. It seems like the spot should be open if Brandon Montour's in it. Like, why not give it? to one of the incumbents like Vatnin and Lindholm who've already done it. doesn't look like that's happening just yet. If I'm desperate to fill a third or a fourth spot, I guess I'll go with Hampus Lindholm. Or if I don't care for the guy I currently have on the low rung of my defensive depth, if you are thinking of adding him, it's more for upside in case he ends up in a good offensive situation. We've seen him succeed in good offensive deployment before. So hypothetically, we could see it again. If you are thinking about it Wednesday, would be a good time to add Lindholm or any Anaheim Duck. Beginning with the game that day, Anaheim plays three times over the next four nights. Yeah, I should point out, Hampus Lindholm and Brandon Montour have been getting the most ice time. At least today, they were the ice time leaders for the Ducks. So yeah, I think those are the two guys you go for. Sammy Vatnin, I'm going to have to see something before I'm interested in adding him because he was also pretty disappointing last year. Another outjury for Anaheim is Ryan Miller. Came back and he actually played today and he got the 4-3 overtime win over Carolina. He stopped 34 of 37 shots. He had a good game. At the same time, John Gibson, he has a 921 save percentage on the year. I can't imagine his job is in much jeopardy, but it'll be nice to have Ryan Miller to spell him. You know, Gibson has had injury issues in the past. So maybe this could be good for Gibson that Ryan Miller is back. Or am I just being optimistic as a Gibson owner? No, I think that's perfectly reasonable. Miller's there to play, I don't know, 25 games this year and to step in if Gibson gets injured or really struggles and needs a timeout. But you don't really have to worry about his job being taken for now or ideally for the whole season. Yeah. Okay. Let's go to the next team. Who's had some outjuries. Let's go to Minnesota. Talk about Mikhail Granlin, who returned to Minnesota on Tuesday after getting injured in the first game of the year, three games so far, only one assist. He's been playing with Koivu and Zucker, both at even strength and on the top power play. And it's been, by the way, with Koivu, Zucker and Granlin, Spurgeon and Suter have completed that top power play. But yeah, Granlin, he had 69 points last season. He, you know, really broke out. I'd imagine his owners must be panicked right now since they drafted him high probably. And then he got injured. It was very frustrating. Now he's back three games, only one assist. Is it like by low time for Mikhail Granlin if you could get him from a panicked owner? Or maybe is he closer to the 50-point guy that we expected him to be going into last season? Yeah, anyone panicking about Mikhail Granlund can't be panicked. Not reasonable to be panicked on one assist in three games since coming back from injury. Look, we know we aren't expecting him to be a 70-point guy again, and the reasons for that we covered in our off-season episodes. But I still think Granlund can meet expectations as a 55-60 point player. That's hopefully who you thought you were drafting and who you can still expect to be on your fantasy team. 
Okay, and then let's mention a couple other guys on Minnesota while we're there. Chris Stewart, he went on a hot streak for a while. He's now pointless in three, playing with Ennis and Erickson Eck. To me, Chris Stewart is an obvious snoozer. If you grabbed him and got that hot run, then congratulations. But I think at this point, you can drop him, right? Or maybe you could try to sell high. If you could find someone impressed by his overall eight points in nine games. Brian, I have a feeling you're not going to disagree with me that you have no interest in Chris Stewart at this point. I don't, and I don't know who will. I'm not sure Chris Stewart is a name that you can really sell high on. Go ahead and try. But sometimes when you're selling high on someone that you're ready to drop, you hold them in your lineup for like an extra week when you really could have used that streaming spot instead. I wouldn't be too stubborn about trying to find a deal where you can trade him off instead of dropping him for nothing because he's really not worth all that much to you or your opponents at the moment. Yeah, for sure. Okay, bye, Felicia. Goodbye, Chris Stewart. Drop him from your lineup. Uh, by the way, one more player on Minnesota I want to bring up is my, I think, Kakupful acquisition of the year so far. The Kakupful is the Keeping Carl's an Ultimate Patron Fantasy League. We play with a bunch of our patrons, and I was very lucky to have Jared Spurgeon dropped, and then I was able to add him, and he's been so good. He's up to eight points in nine games, only three pointless games on the season. So the production has been consistent all the way throughout. He's getting consistent top power play time big minutes provide some blocks every once in a while jared spurgeon i'm telling you man he's good last year he had a career high of 38 points right this might be a biased question but how much higher should we expect him to set his career high to be at the end of this year so take this with a, a grain of salt because these are not the numbers we normally reference on the show uh, but just for fun the minnesota wild are 0-3 when jared spurgeon doesn't get a point and the minnesota wild have yet to lose in regulation, when Jared Spurgeon does get a point. So, MVP. Uh, MVP. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, he sure does seem like an important piece or a more important piece this year and a must-own in just about all leagues that roster more than, say, I don't know, 20, 25 D-men. If you're in a 30-defenseman league, probably deserves to be owned at the moment, even if it's just as a stream while you wait for, you know, your other shallow D that you can drop. Anyway, uh, Spurgeon has been on the cusp of a deployment boost and 40 point potential for a little while now. Him and Dumba, we've been waiting to see who's going to take time away from Ryan Suter. And though the volume of Spurgeon's production is a bit of an illusion, you know, he does have a high PP and half his points are secondary points. Uh, He's making a case to be involved in more of the offense. I'd have him beating his career high, but not by a whole lot. Say right around 40 points, 45, I'd say is best case scenario. Don't get too hyped. I'm hyped, but okay, we'll see. I'll temper my hype a little bit, but I think he could hit 45 points. He's already got a nice head start with eight points in his first nine games. And on the top power play, you know, there's not going to be a shortage of opportunities for him to keep producing. So we'll have to see, check in throughout the season. One last thing, quick PSA, Nino Niederreiter has been apparently skating. He could be back soon. So keep an eye on the Minnesota line combinations when he comes back. Okay, Brian, another team who's had a big name outjury is the Edmonton Oilers and Leon Dreisaitl is back. He played a game away from McDavid on Tuesday and did nothing but was back with McDavid and Maroon on Thursday versus Dallas. Picked up a cool three assists. So Leon Dreisaitl is definitely back. He also had an assist yesterday versus Washington on a goal by Pat Maroon. By the way, how about that Pat Maroon? He's on a five-game point streak, eight points in 10 games overall, averaging almost 19 minutes a game. So he's getting a lot of time. Seems to be pretty much locked in playing with Connor McDavid. We've seen the Yamamotos and the Stroms and the Pugliarvis. They've come and gone, but Maroon is the constant on that line. He's even taking a decent number of shots. He's got 24 shots in 10 games played. He's probably long gone in any hits league that he's in, but probably I'd imagine a must-add at this point, even in a non-bangers-and-mash format. 
Like he's playing with McDavid, he's producing, he's shooting. It's everything we should want. Yeah, same deal as last year with Maroon. He's doing a great job in the spot he's in. He did it in the past, and he's pretty reliable when he has that role. Although never quite a slam dunk, there were periods last year. I owned him, so I remember there were times where he'd go three or four games without a point, and you'd wonder, is he going to get bumped off, or is he just not working there anymore? But as long as he's there, that's worth putting up with for the chance that he will produce on a semi-regular basis from that spot. So yeah, he is a must-add at the moment. And we should just actually go back, Elon, and make sure that we've mentioned Drysaddle playing with McDavid. I know you did, but the Oilers, you know, said they would split them apart. But we said at the start of the year that they would have a really low ability to stomach them being apart if the offense isn't coming, that they wouldn't be able to be patient. And so we're already seeing that happen, and Maroon is the beneficiary. So keep an eye out. Of course, they can be split up again, but as long as they're together, whoever is number three on that line is worth owning. Okay, and then another player I want to say, how about this guy? Speaking of bangers and match leagues, how about Darnell Nurse? He's up to 25 hits and 20 blocks in 10 games so far. Also, 28 shots on goal. He even chipped in a couple of assists versus Dallas. I don't expect much offense to come, though. If he's taking so many shots, you'd expect him to get a goal or an assist every once in a while. I feel like if you're in a league where Radko Gudas is drafted every year and considered to be a really valuable asset, I'd imagine Nurse is pretty much the equivalent or maybe a Gudas light at the very least. Yeah, so here's the thing. His time on ice dropped down to 17 minutes last year. Pretty much bumped him out of everybody's minds from the year before when he had a a 20-minute-a-night role with some penalty kill time. But he has now returned to that role, getting close to 20 minutes a game, having a bigger role on the power play, and is now seeing the third most minutes amongst Edmonton Oilers defensemen. The thing with Nurse, though, is that he's never looked like more than a third-pairing defender if you look at his numbers, which you'd think could work against him, continuing to have the opportunity to be a second-pairing defenseman with him. However, we are talking about the Oilers here, so it's an okay bet to make that he will be able to hang on to this role for the time being, even if his numbers under the hood are not holding up so well. Okay, now, Brian, I want to go to Vegas for another out jury. I like to start the show on an up. No, we'll have some injuries later on. And we actually did start on a down note of Getzlaff being injured. But yeah, nice to see Jonathan Marcheseau return to the Golden Knights after missing three games. He had a goal in the 4-2 win over Chicago, then a goal and an assist in the 7-0 drubbing of Varlamov and the Avalanche. Man, and uh, he's not the only guy who's come back for Vegas. Eric Halla returned in the Colorado game, and he scored a goal. Meanwhile, on the other side, we have Vadim Shipashov, who was sent to the minors, didn't report, is now suspended by the team and actively being traded. So I don't think that we're going to be seeing Shipashov back on Vegas anytime soon. But it seems like it doesn't really matter. The Vegas Golden Knights are winning games. They've won eight out of nine games so far on the year. And there are so, so many people that I could bring up as potential streamers to you. Like last week, Brian, we were talking about Neil and then Shipashov. And you said that Shipashov is the second most valuable Vegas forward after Neil right now in terms of people you'd be interested in streaming. Obviously, at this point, Shipashov is out of that conversation. So I feel like it's time to revisit. Is there anyone you'd add to your team at this point? Like, you're a cupful team, tier one. You know, you have a lot on the line. Would you add any of these guys? I'm going to run down a whole bunch of Vegas players who have been producing, and I want to see who you would potentially go after. So looking at the lines, like Neil's been playing with David Perron and Cody Eakin like James Neal, 10 points in nine games, seven goals, which is kind of crazy, like seven goals, 31.8 shooting percentage. It's probably not going to last, but still he's producing. He's doing really well. David Perron, seven points in nine games. Eakin, a measly five points in nine games. Usually when you're the third on the line, you're not still like a 45, 50 point player, but hey, this is the Vegas Golden Knights. 
Then we have Jonathan Marshall playing with Riley Smith and William Carlson. Uh, Riley Smith has seven points in nine games. Carlson, five points in nine games. We've got Oscar Lindbergh, who has four goals in his last seven games, on pace for 36 goals on the season, if he can keep up a really high shooting percentage, which I'd imagine he can. He's been playing with Halla and Alex Tuck. Are any of these guys that I've just mentioned on your radar at this point? No. I feel bad saying that because I've been saying that for all the while, the last few weeks, and I'm not changing my tune. I will not change my tune about the Vegas Golden Knights. Sending down Shipachov, by the way, that is the act of hubris from a team that's won eight of nine, but probably should not have won eight of nine. They think they can afford to send Shipachov down and suspend him, but how long do you think it'll be, Elon, until the Vegas Golden Knights look at their depth chart and they notice that their center group of Eakin, Marcheseau, William Carlson, and Oscar Lindbergh just is not cutting it for them in the NHL. A lot has been made lately uh, of how their schedule was real friendly to them to start lots of home games spaced out nicely, but the Golden Knights are about to set out on a really rough string of road games, beginning with four straight this week, and it'll end up being eight games playing as the visitors in their next nine games total over the course of 16 days. That's a lot of travel. That's a lot of visiting. That's a lot of home ice calls going against you. And it's a big opportunity for the team to crash down to reality. So as you can tell, I'm still not buying into the team. And as such, I can't get excited about adding any of these guys. I guess Neil and Marcheseau are the likeliest guys you want to own. Then Riley Smith, then David Perrin. Uh, There's nobody else at forward. And these guys are not the type of players you want to rely on. So, and I've been saying that all season. I acknowledge that you've probably missed out on a good run from Alex Tuck and, uh, and, and Riley Smith and, and all the guys I just mentioned. You've missed out on a little bit of that, but in the long run, I should hope you never sacrifice anybody worth 50 points or more for any of these guys. All right, fair. Well, maybe you'll change your tune on defense. We've got Nate Schmidt, Colin Miller, and Brad Hunt, who've all been seeing a good amount of power play time. Colin Miller actually is the one that kind of interests me. He has five points in his last four games, four on the power play. Then you've got this guy, Brad Hunt, who I'll admit I hadn't heard of going into this season. He has five points in his last four, three on the power play. Both, by the way, both of these guys, Colin Miller and Brad Hunt, only had one point each in that 7 nothing game versus Colorado. So it's not as if they just, you know, loaded up on a bunch of points against the Avs, and now I'm making it look as if they have like five points in five games as if they've been super consistent anyways Brian back to Colin Miller I recall we liked him for like a short time last year on Boston it looked like he had a bit of an offensive upside now he seems to be one of if not the top power play guy on Vegas though of course the big elephant in the room is that they waived Griffin Reinhardt today and Fabrice in our Facebook group and we've seen on Roto World that it's been suggested that this could mean Shea Theodore will finally get called up so perhaps he'll be the top power play guy. Curious to know, any interest in any of these defensemen? Any interest in Shea Theodore now that he's going to get called up? Yes, some interest in Shea Theodore. If he QBs the top power play unit, you automatically have to have interest in that, assuming that it should be good for about 40 points. We don't know what his shot rates will look like yet with the amount of ice time he gets. We have mentioned Brad Hutton on the show before, Elon. He did have a, a nice little run last year with St. Louis. He had five points in nine games. It might have been over fewer games even, uh, but he's essentially an AHL journeyman who's been producing quite well in the minors since like 2012, but nothing really to speak of in the NHL. Uh, Same as the forwards. You know, you can stream some of the defensemen, especially the power play guys, with the same caveats uh, that I mentioned for the forward group and the Knights as a whole. Uh, I would not drop 
any 35 or 40 point defenseman for any of them except maybe Shea Theodore, and I'd actually want to see a game or two of him first before doing so, if you can afford to wait. Yeah, some people might have to then wait and not get Shea Theodore. I know there's a lot of excitement about him. I don't know, while you're waiting for Shea Theodore, Colin Miller is looking pretty good to me. This is I got a hunch. Let's see next week how Colin Miller does over the week. Uh, I guess I then I know what you're going to say about Oscar Dansk, who has a 959 save percentage in a little over two games. Now that... Uh, Subban and Fleury are both injured. Maybe one of them will come back soon. But for now, we've got Dansk as the starting goalie. But if you're saying that he's about to go into a really tough road trip, maybe now's the time to sell high or forget about him. Maybe he's a scary start moving forward. Though it's hard not to start a goalie who's done so well and is on a team that can't lose. It sure is, except they really can lose. And so you can add Oscar Dansk for starts, but getting wins in good numbers from the Vegas goaltender is not going to be as automatic as you may have been led to believe from their start for the season. Also, before we move on from Vegas, Elon, I want to give a shout out to my cupful opponent this week, Simon in Tier 1 Sweden, who anyone trying to pick up Theodore in our division will note that he's been gone since the start of the year. Simon has been holding him all this time, likely waiting for this moment, and I'm glad I faced him this week instead of having to worry about it next week. Ah, yeah. He, well, Theodore's available in my division, and uh, I guess I don't like giving heads up to people in my division. Maybe there'll be some fab bids for Shea Theodore tomorrow in the Ottawa Tier 2 division of the Kakupful. Okay, Brian, before we move on to some injuries and all these crazy line combinations I was alluding to, let's take a moment to thank our friends who have sponsored this episode. Those are the great people over at FanDuel. FanDuel, it's a daily fantasy hockey game, and it's a lot of fun. We talk about season-long leagues on our show. We're talking about guys with long-term upside. But, you know, let's say you don't have the chance. Brian, you're in Tier 1, and apparently you can't get Shea Theodore, but you can grab Shea Theodore when you play FanDuel because you get to set a new lineup every single time you play. And maybe his value will still be kind of low because he hasn't played yet, so maybe, maybe there's a little good tip when you're playing Daily Fantasy. Next, maybe grab Shea Theodore for his first game back with Vegas. Basically, with FanDuel, there's new contests starting every day you play whenever you want something for everyone lots of contests to choose from starting at just one dollar you pick a contest you choose your team your watch your score real time it's a lot of fun we've actually got a keeping carlson fan duel league running every week for the tuesday night games the contest opens around monday at 8 p.m so you definitely have to check it out we filled it the last two weeks and it's been a lot of fun the last week it wasn't as fun for me because i came in last place <laughs> I like okay. I thought I thought it was a good strategy. This idea of just loading up on players on a couple of teams. So I went with the Sens players versus LA, and I went with some Buffalo players versus Detroit. And yeah, n- none of those players got any points. All of my Hoffman and Evander Kane and Mark Stone and Eric Carlson, nothing from everyone. Meanwhile, the team who came in first, S Zentiger had like 201 points compared to my 76. He just like killed it, got John Tavares in one of his hot games. Patrick Kane, like Shea Weber, went in that one game where Montreal scored a lot of goals. So there's the ups and downs. I have a feeling I'm going to do better next Tuesday. Can't do any worse. If you want to join us in our weekly FanDuel game, you can check out fanduel.com slash Carl, K-A-R-L. Just sign in anytime on Monday or later after like 8 p.m. and you can sign up for our weekly league. I also made a mistake. I I finished 13th, so way better than you. And I've never finished dead last. That's very embarrassing for you. Uh, But for the second week in a row, I went big. I stacked players from the team playing Vancouver on the road. Last week, I did it with Ottawa, although I don't remember if they were on the road or not. This week, I did it with Minnesota. Both teams got shut out and essentially cost me my uh, several standing spots. So 
I hope to get that back this time. By the way, if you're thinking of it, uh, I don't know, uh, new users on FanDuel, if you use that code, uh, you're going to get free entry into the NHL Breakaway Contest with thousands of dollars in cash prizes guaranteed to pay out when you make your first deposit on FanDuel. Just visit FanDuel.com and sign up with the promo code CARL. That's FanDuel.com, promo code K-A-R-L. And we should also make sure to note, it's very important uh, to know that this offer is void where prohibited. I love that. I love the void where prohibited. Just like our advice, anytime we cost you anything in your fantasy leagues, just remember that our advice was also void if it uh, was bad or prohibited. Okay, uh, let's go. Actually, a couple more outjuries before we get into the injuries. There are a couple goalies that came back last week. I made a whole big deal about all these goalies being injured. Turned out not to be for very long. Tuka Rask, he came back yesterday. Played well, actually, in a 2-1 OT loss to LA. So good for Tuka Rask. I'm still nervous about him this year, but who knows? Obviously, he's capable of putting up a good game every once in a while. Let's see if he could do something consistently. And then Corey Schneider was also good. He made 34 saves in his return, a 4-3 win over Arizona. We talked about these guys last week when they were injured. We, you know, you could go back and listen to that episode to hear our takes on these goalies overall. I assume nothing much of relevance to say right now, aside from time to drop Kudobin and Kincaid, if you were going to ride them during these injuries. Yes, that's all you need to know. All right, so let's go on to some injuries now. We had already called Andre Burakovsky a snoozer after he was doing nothing on the Backstrom line, and then he got bumped to the bottom six. Now Andre Burakovsky is out for six to eight weeks after having surgery on a fractured left thumb. So, okay, we could forget about him. We already did. But since last week's, the Caps lines have been going through the blender as we've seen names like Tom Wilson and Alex Shiasan in the top six. So I guess they're really trying to shake things up. But hey, they won yesterday, and they got things a little bit back to normal yesterday. So for the 5-2 win over Edmonton, the Caps were rolling lines of Ovechkin, Kuznetsov, and Devante Smith-Pelly. So that's kind of kind of a weird name. We'll get to him. And then they had Backstrom with Oshie and Verana. So a couple things of note here. First of all, Jacob Verana off the Ovechkin line. He had been out of the top six completely for a couple of games, but now he got back in yesterday to play with, like I said, Oshie and Backstrom, which is kind of good. But at the same time, he's pointless in five games now. Seems that we could probably call Jacob Verana a snoozer at this point. If you still have him in your lineup, probably there are better options out there. Or Brian, do you think his now playing with Backstrom inspires any interest from you? It's okay. It's not Ovechkin and Kuznetsov, although Backstrom is a pretty good setup guy to be working with. Verana's ice time has been pretty steady in the 13-minute range, though. And when he's succeeding, I expect him closer to 15 minutes. That's probably what he's going to need to be relevant. He'd put up 10 shots over four games as well, which is still pretty good, especially given that low ice time. And you also can't rule out a return towards some production. Still seems like a reasonably talented guy with deployment upside playing with Backstrom. All that said, I'm actually going to agree with you, Elon. Until we see something more, until we see the ice time go up or shots start to go in or his teammates' shots start to go in when they're getting passes from him, you can probably let Vrana go until he wakes up from his snooze, which very well could happen. So don't like, keep him on your watch list for sure. All right, but for now, go join Chris Stewart. You're gone, Jacob Verona. Forget about you. But you know who's not gone right now? Line one, Devontae Smith-Pelly. Of course, we all laughed about this when we saw in our patron-only Facebook group when we saw that DSP was going to be on line one with Ovechkin Kuz and stuff. Like, oh my God, what are they doing? So ridiculous. La, la, la. Then, of course, he went in and he scored a goal yesterday. Three shots on goal. He played 18 minutes and a half after averaging around 12 or 13 minutes for most of the season, even at a couple of games below eight minutes. But obviously, 
obviously yesterday, Devontae Smith-Pelly had himself a game. He had himself the opportunity and he made the most of it. I feel like I ask you this at least once every season, Brian. Like somehow, whatever team he's on, Devontae Smith-Pelly gets onto a top line and produces for a short spurt. Should people be looking to temporarily add Devontae Smith-Pelly while he's playing with Ovechkin? I know, obviously, it's not going to last. Like, definitely not a long-term thing, but you like him as a streamer for now. Can I predict the future? Can I predict whether Smith-Pelly is going to stay on that line for another game or keep producing if he's there? Obviously not. I just, you you made light reference to it, but remember when Devontae Smith-Pelly was dealt to New Jersey, he scored seven goals in his first nine games with the team, and he even tacked on three assists with that for an above point-per-game pace that carried for like two and a half weeks, which for me is like two or three episodes where I was saying, don't get into it, don't get into it. So I'm a little scarred from that still because you might've missed out on some production. So take him at your own risk. At best, what's happening right now will be what happened with New Jersey. It's not going to get a lot better than that. And remember that if the Capitals won't tolerate Tom Wilson on their first line for very long, who should be there himself, but has been, I can't imagine that they'll let Smith Pelly stay there for very long either. Well, hey, all I'll say is they won their last game and DSP scored a goal. So I imagine he'll at least still be on the top line for their next game, which is actually tonight. So I, I should mention that maybe by the time you're listening to this, you'll know how Devontae Smith-Pelly did in game two uh, on that line against Calgary. And so we'll see. And then if he does well again, then maybe look at him for a daily fantasy ad and maybe a short-term ad. But like you say, yeah, nothing that's going to last. It would have to be lucky. But hey, if you're playing with Alex Ovechkin, you have a chance to get an assist for sure. Ovechkin, by the way, three assists yesterday. Normally he doesn't have a stat line like that but uh probably pretty surprising for people who needed assists and got them from alex ovechkin and not a goal okay another injury i want to bring up cam atkinson was hurt in the second period yesterday for columbus he only played a minute and 32 seconds in the third though so that means maybe he's okay could be nothing we'll stay tuned and see what's going on with cam atkinson but i was planning to bring him up on this show anyways as he's been kind of disappointing only five points in 11 games now on the season 34 shots on goal so that's good but definitely not what people who drafted him were hoping for after his 62 points last year we warned during the summer series that he may only be closer to a 55 point guy which is what he was near the end of last season at this point now that we're seeing him having a disappointing start are we going to stick with that projection brian of atkinson being a 55 point guy or do you have any changes in that opinion no we're going to stick with that and it was shooting percentage last year with atkinson that signaled that he may have overperformed last year when he did shoot just over 14.5%. His career average had normally been at 11%. And if you regress that shooting percentage and looked at what Adkinson's goal totals would have been, his numbers did portray him pretty well as a 55-point player. He's also, by the way, not this young fella with huge upside that some still mistake him to be. This is his age 28 season. And yes, I double and triple check that because I myself was surprised about it. So we have to figure that Atkinson has just about already hit his peak if he does follow the usual NHL aging curve. And I don't know why he'd be special in this case. Uh, So no, I'm not going to budge though off that 55 points to even downgrade him further. And in fact, I'd still consider him at least as likely to beat that number than fall short of that number. Atkinson's offensive numbers this year are actually looking really strong to start. He's still getting his three shots on goal per game and all of his offensive rate stats, shot attempts for shots on goal, expected goals. They're also all up over previous years. On top of that, he's riding team wide waves in Columbus of increased shot attempts for percentage and offensive zone starts. Uh, so that's 
good for him on the whole, as long as he keeps benefiting from whatever the team's doing that's bringing them success in those categories. So I'm actually going to call this a buy low opportunity on Cam Atkinson. If you can deal a 50 to 55 point player for him, I think there's a good chance you're getting a 55 to 60 point guy back. Huh. Well, there you go. Well, I'll tell you one thing, though, that is concerning me a little bit about Atkinson beyond just his only five points in 11 games is that these Columbus lines have been pretty wonky lately. Long gone are the days of like Panarin, Atkinson, Wenberg, which is what we all expected going into the season. All three of those players started the game yesterday at St. Louis on different lines. The Blue Jackets were running Panarin with Felino and Josh Anderson, and then Jenner with Dubinsky and Atkinson, and then Matt Calvert with Wenberg and Oliver Bjorkstrand. Strand. Curious to know, Brian, like, who are the winners and losers here? Probably the listeners. Like, that, that was probably really fast going through. Let me tell you one more time. Uh, Panarin, Felino, Anderson, Jenner, Dubinsky, Atkinson, Calvert, Wenberg, Bjorkstrand. Overall, you know, overall, lots of people on Columbus, aside from Atkinson, are having really good seasons. Like, we have Artemi Panarin. He has 10 points in 11 games. He's pointless in his last two, and I'm not worried about him. Wenberg has eight points in 11 games, but only two assists in his last five. Felino has eight points in 11 games, but he's also pointless in two. I'm starting to get a sense that Columbus might be slowing down after a really hot start. I guess that's why they're starting to shake up the lines. We've got Oliver Bjorkstrand. He's actually on the opposite end. He didn't start very strong, but he's actually started to come on with three points in his last four games. We've got Seth Jones with eight points in 11 games. He's been really, really good. Everyone was talking about Wierenski going into the year, but it looks like Seth Jones is the one putting up the offensive numbers so far. Anyways, I know I've just thrown a whole bunch of names at you of Columbus players. Just kind of curious to get your general sense of Columbus guys at this point. Like, are there any players who you think are going to continue to be really good? Are there people that you're expecting regression from? Like, what, what's your sense of this team so far? There's nothing really that's happened to change my mind about any of the projections we sort of had for them going into the year so just to really run through those quickly I'll say Panarin and Wenberg they're going to be okay keeping up their current production maybe at a slightly lower pace Foligno and Bjorkstrand they're both probably going to fall off a little bit though I do recognize Bjorkstrand's only just gotten going but his percentages are still a touch high which is oddly concerning Uh, hopefully more opportunity and better deployment is going to help him though and Seth Jones will also slow down a bit he is outscoring Zach Wierenski by the way Wierenski with just six points in 11 games which is kind of rude to say just because it's still over half a point per game pace from a defenseman but I'm not sure anyway uh, Seth Jones is still going to be one of the most unheralded 40 plus point defensemen in the NHL this year he's on good track for that And uh, on the whole, Columbus is looking like a pretty capable offensive team. I'm not buying that they're about to slow down. Maybe they have hit a little rough patch and they're changing their lines. But if you look at the points and goals that have been scored, I expect them to be able to keep up that pace. They're uh, third in the league in expected goals for per 60 minutes as a team with excellent possession numbers and a sustainable team shooting percentage to boot. Mind you, Montreal is actually right behind them in the expected goals for per 60 and shot attempts for percentage numbers. And we've seen a lot less from their offense. They've been on the very wrong side of the shooting percentage. Uh, But to take it back to Columbus, uh, I'm into them. I think what they're doing is mostly sustainable. And I think Atkinson is going to be okay to circle way back to the beginning. Okay, fair enough. We had a question in the chat room here. Is uh, Wierenski now a buy low candidate? That's from Matthew. I mean, if you're saying that they're doing well overall offensively, I'd imagine he's going to get in on a few more goals. Yeah, right now, he's not doing so badly. He's on a 45-point pace, which is exactly what we said to expect from him. I guess it just looks 
not as great. What I was trying to say before I said, I'm not sure, I don't know, is that it doesn't look so good. It pales in comparison to what Seth Jones has done so far, but I still expect Wierenski to handily get to that 45-point pace. Okay, and then just like Cam Atkinson, we had another injury yesterday where we still don't know how serious it is. Shane Gostaspare was injured in Philly's 4-2 win over Toronto yesterday. He left with an upper body injury, so I don't know if that means a puck to the face or something. Apparently, that could mean anything, but yeah, no word yet, as far as I know, on the severity of his injury. Gostaspare is having an amazing season. He has 13 points in 11 games played. Obviously, this bumps up Provorov's value for however long Ghost is out. But I would have thought going into the episode that we would talk about how maybe now's a good time to sell high on Ghost Bear. You probably can't do that anymore. Or maybe you can't be. He's been having an amazing year. He's not the only one on Philly, by the way. You've got Sean Couturier, who, like, things cannot get any better for Sean Couturier. Not only has he remained on the top line with Giroux and Voracek all season, but he even finally got bumped up to the top power play. He bumped Phil Pula and he was there with Giroux and Voracek and Ghost Bear before he got injured, like all the big names and Sean Couturier and Couturier has delivered big time. He has three goals and three assists in his last three games. He's up to 13 points in 11 games played on the season. Like, Brian, like how good, I know we've already talked about him, but like how good is Sean Couturier, especially now as a top line, top power play guy? Is it sell high time? Or maybe you can uh, hold on to him and expect him to be like good for like, I don't know, 65 points. He's playing with great players and he's producing big time. I feel like this is the first time he's ever had this opportunity. So it's not as if we can go back and say, oh, you know, he's had this opportunity before. He's never really delivered, you know, like with Artem Anisimov and he was doing well with Patrick Kane, but we'd seen he wasn't able to do it before. Like Petourier was getting his first chance to play on the top line and top power play and he's killing it. I'll take it back to when you asked how high or can you sell high on Couturier? And my answer to that is always is, well, how high can you sell? Uh, he's definitely benefiting from some friendly numbers. He has seven goals on 32 shots. That's more than double what you'd expect him to have based on his career shooting percentage. And the rest of the guys on the ice with him are also shooting better than they should be. So that's also inflating his numbers. But all of Couturier's individual under the hood offensive numbers are also up. So while he shouldn't necessarily be doing this good, those upticks in his individual numbers combined with his improved deployment are for sure reason to be expecting a legit improvement over last year's 40-point pace. I think maybe what you want to try and do is, yeah, buy high on him, quote-unquote, from someone who may think they have a real flash in the pen and they're trying to sell high and not going to be too stubborn about the return because they think they're going to end up dropping him anyway when you could have a chance to acquire a guy who's good for at least a 50-point pace the rest of the way. Hopefully more, of course, but it's a little soon to declare that and I'm not ready to go that far. I won't say, like, 55 points definitely within reach if he can keep up what is going on under the hood with a little bit of luck over the hood as well. Except those numbers, I also sort of... Anyway, whatever. He's good for 50 at least, hopefully 55, and hey... I bet you think he can do even better. Uh, yeah, it's boring. Like 50 <laughs> points. Like he's over a point per game. And he's on, like, how many points do you think? Okay, let's give some credit, by the way, to these guys who are playing with Couturier, who were like saying, oh, great for Couturier. He's playing with Jeroen Voracek. We don't actually mention how they're doing. They're both doing great. Voracek has 16 points in 11 games, 12 points in 11 games for Claude Giroux. So these guys are both clearly on track for very nice bounce backs after a somewhat disappointing season for both of them last year. So Brian, like, I'd be curious to know if you have Couturier at like 50, 50 points, maybe 55. Like, where do you see Giroux and Voracek landing if they're going to be on the line and power play right along with him? Yeah, really nice early bounce backs for Voracek and Giroux. I'm going to start with Giroux, though, where one thing to watch out for is his sky-high individual shooting percentage. He scored four goals 
on 10 even strength shots so far. That's a 40% shooting percentage at even strength, which is not going to hold, of course. And by the way, I did say just 10 even strength shots. If that sounds low for him, uh, it is. His shot rates are down even compared to last year, which was a real drop from the year before, which was also a drop from the year before. So yeah, this makes four years in a row in declining shot rates for Claude Giroux. Uh, Seems like for sure his three shots on goal per game days could not be a fair expectation for him anymore. He's averaging just a shade over two shots per game, even when everything is coming up aces for him on the score sheet. So that's really great production you're getting from him, not great shots. And when that production does regress, uh, you're going to be sort of left out in the cold with how many shots he's offering, not offering you much else. Uh, Voracek's own shot rates, meanwhile, they've remained pretty steady, but that whole line, Voracek, Giroux, and Couturier, still seeing some big spike in on-ice shooting percentage. So actually, if you're looking for a guy to sell high on, I think Giroux could be the one. If you own him, if you can sell him as a return-to-form point-per-game player or even like 70-75 point guy, that I would go for. Very interesting. Okay, you flipped it around on me. I like it, Brian. I'm convinced. All you have to say is like high spike in numbers. That makes me concerned that something's going to drop soon. By the way, I could give a correction. Thanks to Lewis in the chat room here. Ghost Bear did not get hit in the face with a puck. He was hit by Komarov. He was smashed fr- uh, from behind by Komarov. So, and also some expletives being thrown at Komarov by people in the chat room. Obviously not happy about him injuring Ghost Bear. So there's the update on him. We'll have to, again, find out how serious the injury is. Okay, Brian, let's move on now to some of these wonky line combinations. I've been teasing. I want to start in Vancouver. I guess, okay, both wonky line combinations and then just surprisingly productive line combinations. First, the latter in Vancouver. How about this line? The B line, I guess, are you calling them? I don't even know what people are calling it, but Bo Horvat, Besser, and Sven Berchi. Wow, they are doing so well. And you know, the Canucks are doing well, by the way. The Canucks have won four games in a row now. Clearly, this line has a lot to do with it. Like, Sedins are doing nothing, but Horvat, Besser, and Berchi, they're all over a point per game over this last week. Overall, Brock Besser is up to nine points in eight games on the year. Sven Berchi has eight points in 10 games. Bo Horvat has seven points in 10 games. They're also playing together, the three of them, on the top power play, at least in the last game. Uh, I should point out by the way i just read that brock besser might be injured he has something like a leg contusion i just read this right before we started recording so we'll have to wait and see about him hopefully it's nothing serious and he'll be back because he's having such a great rookie season assuming besser is fine and healthy do you see any chance that these three guys can keep it up like what kind of upside do you see for all of them really because we haven't seen any of them really break out like bo horvat was pretty good last year and he's actually had really good runs so i'm not surprised to see him producing brock besser also i guess i'm not surprised since he was a rookie with a lot of pedigree and a lot of people were really excited about him i I guess Ben Berchi is the one who I'm really curious about. Has he ever been someone that was expected to produce offensively? Because right now his eight points in 10 games is definitely more than I was expecting to see out of him. I wasn't expecting him to be fantasy relevant at all this year. Coming out of junior, when drafted by Calgary, he was definitely expected to put up points in every call-up or every training camp cut. It was like, what are they doing with this guy? And now here's his big chance. Never worked, but he has had a couple successful runs in Vancouver. Just to zoom out again on that whole line of all of them, Sven Berchi is definitely the least sustainable in his production of the bunch, but it is a really nice run for him nonetheless, and he has done this before. He had a six-week run last season from mid-November up till early January where Berchi scored 10 goals, 8 assists, 
for 18 points over 19 games. And here's the interesting bit. He had just 48 shots in that run, meaning he scored 10 goals on them. Uh, So he scored at a 21% shooting rate or conversion rate. Uh, And then he actually continued shooting reasonably well through the rest of the season, 17.5% over the next 31 games of the season. But he only took 40 shots and accumulated just 12 points total in those 31 games from January to April. So from being a super fancy relevant guy to being a snoozer, even though he maintained a high shooting percentage. The big story here is that he has actually sustained a high shooting percentage, near 16% over 150 games for the last two years. But Berti needs to take more shots to make that count for more on the score sheet. And the thing is that his shot and shot attempt rates aren't really up this year over last. And he's so far averaging another 40 seconds per game over last year. Uh, So that's going to help even if his rates do stay steady, but eh, not a whole lot. Maybe there's something there. Maybe there's something worth getting excited about. But of course, I would prefer Besser and Horvat first. Yeah, but assuming those guys are taken, your stream of the week might be Sven Berchi. Obviously, it depends what's going on with Brock Besser. Nice to see him producing for now. He was added in my Kakuffle League, even though he didn't play for the rest of the week. And he was added like on Friday or something. So obviously, someone is very excited about him. Uh, Brian, more surprising than the production of Sven Berchi, though, is the production of Derek Dorsett, who has eight points in 10 games from the bottom six with no power play time. Seems like a DSP situation again. Like he's generally, but except DSP's on the first line. Devontae Smith Pelly, by the way. Okay. Anyway, Derek Dorsett generally only owned in leagues for his hits and his pims. And by the way, he had two straight games of 17 penalty minutes a couple of weeks ago. So he definitely helped people who had him for pims, but he's also been helping offensively. Clearly, now he's putting up the points. Any chance at all that this point production from Derek Dorsett can be somewhat sustainable to go along with his hits and penalty minutes? He's been seeing over 17 minutes a game lately when last year he averaged less than 10. So that's obviously a point in his favor. Yeah, no, this is not going to be sustainable. He's never done this before. He turns 31 in December. He's not turning over a new leaf here. Uh, I think the only upshot of this is that the Canucks can feel a little bit better about paying him $2.5 for the next couple of years. Okay, and then since we're on Vancouver, let's take a look at the goaltending situation. We've got Jacob Markstrom, who started slow, but has put up two straight wins in his last two games. Only 9.08 save percentage on the season. But, you know, I like to say early on, you can't just look at the overall save percentage. Yeah, he had a couple bad games. He's been good lately. Fine. Okay, then we have Anders Nilsson, who came in and shut out Minnesota. one nothing. It was a great game. And then he beat Washington 6-2. to two. Those are his last two games. He's up to a 9.43 save percentage on the season in four games overall. So do you think this job the Vancouver Canucks starting goalie job is up for grabs at this point is that like an obvious question like clearly it's up for grabs would you grab Anders Nilsson if he was available in any of your leagues like who would you want more between Nilsson and Markstrom and if either of them are in free agency is it time to jump on one of them or the other or both I told you a week ago that that which you have not mentioned to the listeners that Nilsson was making a run for that starting job we saw him doing it in Edmonton when you really championed him there too and I was the one who was cool to him even though he did hold on for quite a while in that little jockeying that he was involved in. Uh, so yeah, I would grab Anders Nilsson for sure. This is not like an Oscar Dansk situation only because Vancouver is looking better than Vegas and better than I definitely thought Vancouver would look at the season's start. There's reason for some optimism that the Canucks could be reasonably competitive this year. Now, whether that's best for a team that may actually be better served by a lottery pick, uh, that's, unclear but for fantasy owners of Vancouver's starting goalie it's undoubtedly a good thing and Nilsson looks to be making a real strong case 
for the job. I could see him getting a few more opportunities to really entrench himself in there over the next few games. Yeah, I guess I'll just say to you, Brian, like, yeah, he's looking good. He's had a couple good games for sure. He's had a really good start to the season for sure. But also, I wouldn't just count out Jacob Markstrom just yet. He's also been good in his last couple of games. He had a bad start. I feel like, you know, maybe Nielsen gets the next start, but one bad game from Nielsen, and we're right back to starting Markstrom, and the whole thing goes against. I wouldn't go too crazy about Anders Nielsen dropping someone big for him. You can tell me if you disagree with me. I feel like this job is still very much up for grams. and could just be a 50-50 thing for the rest of the year. Yeah, this is not to say, like, it's similar to Oscar Dansk in that Anders Nilsson, well, he's probably better than Dansk, but he's also not an established NHL starter, and he probably is prone to his own cold stretches, while Jacob Markstrom is prone to some hot stretches too. I imagine the pendulum will swing a few times over the course of the year, but if you have time or the space to add one of them right now, Nilsson would be the one I'd want, but constantly looking to switch back and forth as you see who's starting for them. Yeah, and of course, for someone wanting to stream a goalie, like it seems like Canucks might be kind of good. So if you're grabbing a goalie for a single day or for like Daily Fantasy or something like that, maybe one of these goalies, you get them for pretty cheap and they can help you out, get your win. They've been doing it against Brian anyways in Daily Fantasy, as he mentioned earlier. Yeah, we'll have to see if the Vancouver Canucks remember that they are the Vancouver Canucks or if they could keep up this hot run. Okay, let's go to LA now where they haven't seemed to be missing Jeff Carter much as they've won their last three games and eight of their 10 games overall on the year. And if you recall last week, I was concerned about Tyler Toffoli because he lost his centerman, Jeff Carter, and had him replaced with a guy named Nick Shore. And Toffoli wasn't getting any extra power play time to make up for Carter being out. Well, I guess that turned out to not be a concern I should have had, or at least nothing that's born fruition yet. Is that a saying? Born fruition? I don't know. Sometimes I just throw things out there, Brian. Well, so you could say something bears fruit. I'm not sure if you could syntactically work it around to become born fruition, but I like it. Let's make it a thing, listeners. Hashtag born fruition. I don't even know which born you're spelling. But okay. Anyway, what I meant to say is that Toffoli's been good. And, you know, Nick Shore, he didn't last, but he got bumped by a guy named Adrian Kempe, who's been on the second line. He's a rookie this year. And he's made a lot of people say, Jeff who? Like, Kempe's been really good. He had a hat-trick against Montreal on the 18th. So this is like over a couple weeks ago. I didn't pay much attention to it because, you know... Montreal, but he's followed that up with three goals and two assists in his last five games. He's on a nice run. He's now up on the second line with Toffoli and Tanner Pearson. Brian, who is Adrian Kempe? Is there any reason to expect his production to continue now that he's on line two? He was a first rounder uh, picked by the Kings at 29th overall back in 2014. And he was a point per game guy in his second pro season in the AHL. And that earned him a late season call up last season during which he mostly played with Trevor Lewis. And like past years, Dustin Brown with a little bit of Marion Gabrick and Nick Dowd thrown in. So not a lot of opportunity there. Nothing like what he's seeing right now. And he is worth watching. He has scored at the closest level to the NHL. So he's doing all right so far. So maybe he can keep it up through the year. I don't know what kind of person I'd drop to add him. Like he's definitely someone in the streaming spot right now. But if you want to take a swing for him, uh, there, there could be a lot worse options. Yeah, and also, like I said, even the fact that he's pretty good brings up the value of someone like Tyler Toffoli, who, like I said, he's been good. He scored two goals yesterday, had seven shots. He had one goal in the previous game versus Montreal. He actually has five goals and three assists in 11 games overall. So it seems like maybe Tyler Toffoli will be fine. I think I was a little too down on him last week, so I wanted to roll that back a little bit. 
Yeah, he's got 42 shots in 11 games. That's almost four shots per game. Seven shots last game. His rate stats have jumped up to four more shots per 60 minutes. And that's shots on goal, not just shot attempts. So yeah, Toffoli's just going to throw rubber on net a whole lot, which is nice in any league that's going to give you credit for that. And then the goals, of course, are the cherries. Hopefully several cherries on top. Yep, and then on the flip side, the top line of Kopitar, Dustin Brown, and Ayafalo, who's been there recently, they've been quiet. They had a quiet week. Two points for Kopitar, but nothing for Brown or Ayafalo in the last four games. Brian, you're a Dustin Brown owner in the Kakuffle. Are you starting to get worried that his amazing surge to start the year may have been a mirage, just like you know he's shown us in the past? Or is this just a blip and Dustin Brown will be finally? We both seemed pretty high on him going into the last episode. Yeah, there was some come down for Brown that was definitely due. But we also talked about Elon, like I have him on my roster and I was saying, well, his points have dried up and I'm wondering if I can stream that spot out now to help me short term with some stats. And you were saying that he's still got the opportunity and it's not worth giving up on somebody getting that much opportunity yet. And I tend to agree with you. Yeah, this was a, a you know conversation we had not on the show, but like basically my take. I'm starting to learn anyways that just because someone's not getting points, it might not mean anything about them. Like we're all always so quick to like give up on someone when they don't put up points, but if the player's still on the top line, still taking shots, still doing all the things that we expect them to do in their situation, like points are random in hockey. There's like two, three goals a game sometimes, and lots of players. So yeah, like for example, yesterday I decided to sit Miko Ranton, and I had to sit someone on my team because. Ranton had been like pointless in the last two. I just kind of looked at all of the players on my team and who had done the least recently. And that's the decision I came to. And then Ranton did fine. He had a really great game yesterday for Colorado. And like, why wouldn't he? He's on the top line, top power play with McKinnon. Like at some point they were going to break out. So yeah, I'm not sure exactly how to help making those decisions of when it's time to drop someone. Or I guess, yeah, we look at, but anyways, yeah, just to say, just because Dustin Brown hasn't gotten points in the last week, doesn't mean he's over. It might just mean he's not getting the bounces. You have to look and see. I like that he's still on the top line. I like that he's still taking shots. If another week goes by and he doesn't get points, then we'll have to look into it and see if something is actually wrong. But I think it's too early to get too concerned. Brian, I want to go now to the New York Islanders. Big change to their top line. Jordan Eberle was bumped to line two for Josh Bailey. We all remember last year, Tavares Bailey and Anders Lee did really well for a good long stretch. And it looks like it's happening again. Jordan Everly was also off the top power play, which now sports Tavares, Lee, Bailey, Matt Barzel, and Nick Letty. So we'll get to Barzel in a bit. I was actually planning to come on and suggest that maybe Everly could be droppable in some leagues now that he's off the top line and top power play. But Well, in some leagues? Well, anyways, now I feel silly because he had a great game yesterday. He had two goals and an assist in the 6-2 win over Nashville. So now maybe it seems dumb. Oh, why is Elon saying to drop a guy who just had two goals and an assist? But at the same time... Like, if he's not on the top line, not on the top power play, like we saw this happen to Jordan Everly last year in Edmonton. He never ended up getting back on the top line. So maybe this is going to be a journey that he cannot come back from. I don't know. It's obviously been just a game or two. We'll have to see what happens moving forward. Maybe playing with Matt Barzell and Brock Nelson on line two isn't so bad. Like, what are you doing as an Everly owner at this point? Are you concerned? Your come on made it seem as if you don't even care. First line, second line, first power play, second power play, whatever. You love Everly no matter what. How can I be concerned when he has five points in his last three games, six points in his last five? Things are looking good, especially after a slow start from Eberle. If you've held on this long, there's no way you're letting go just as things get clicking. Yes, it's a little concerning that he's not getting to play with Tavares. Uh, However, if you look at his scoring log, he's only, uh, of all the points he scored, he has nine points, only four of them were associated with Tavares, either assisting, actually they were all, 
assists on Tavares' goals. Tavares has not assist on any uh, Jordan Eberle goals so far this year. Okay, I'm not sure what you're trying to say. I I'm saying, well, no, I'm saying that he's doing okay. Like, why would you drop him now? He's hot, and he doesn't seem to have been overly reliant. Like, everybody in New York seems to be relying on John Tavares scoring. Do you know, I was going to save this for the end of our aisle segment, but while we're here, in his last four games, Tavares has seven goals on 11 shots. That's crazy. Yeah, he probably won't keep up that high shooting percentage, but he is John Tavares. He's going to keep putting up points. We know that, but he has been a bit streaky. He's on a really nice hot run now. Brian, okay, back to what I just said before, my little rant about Dustin Brown. It goes the other way. Like, sure, don't drop Jordan Everly, I guess, but I'm predicting right now that I think he's going to really slow down if he's not on the top line and top power play. Like, when's the last time we've seen someone on the Islanders produce not being on the top line or top power play with Tavares? I guess, like, Franz Nielsen did okay for a while so maybe you could say that Jordan Everly has Franz Nielsen upside but uh yeah fine he's been doing well I'm talking about the future now and I'm thinking that I'm very concerned as an Everly owner maybe don't drop him but maybe now's the time to sell high after his really good game or wait and see who knows maybe the line combinations will change again though Bailey is doing really well himself like let's talk about him he's like I said now on line one and the top power play he's up to 11 points in 11 games on the year Tavares is heating up and Bailey and Anders Lee are of course joining in for the ride I assume Brian you want Anders Lee ahead of all these other guys but who would you want next on the Islanders between Bailey Eberly, and let's bring up Matt Barzil by the way who like I said has been on the top power play and he has six points in his last six games well, I was going to say that just because Everly is not on the first line doesn't mean he has no one to play with. Matt Barzal seems to be doing quite well for himself at the moment and makes a pretty good free agent pickup in your league. If he's uh, if he's somehow ranking, well, not somehow, in my Cupful division, he's ranking quite highly amongst the available free agents. Now that I've said that, everybody in my division will happily help themselves to him. But in any case, uh, of those guys, I still, I think Everly has the most upside. Bailey probably has the highest floor if he stays up with Tavares, which again, we don't know yet. And you referenced last year's situations or past situations with the Islanders too, when, when people get moved on and off of the Tavares line, it's different now because Doug Wade is coaching and we haven't really seen how he handles this sort of thing. We know with Capuano, sometimes there is no coming back from the top line. I'm not really sure that that's the case. I kind of see this as giving Barzell someone to play with. And it's worked out well so far. He's probably the third guy in the group that I'd want to own, though, just because he's still young, still trying to figure things out. And he has the the least established NHL scoring. Okay, fair enough. This will be fun to track. You know, Brian, like, it would be a very amateur fantasy hockey podcast to just say grab all the players who are doing well, drop all the players who are doing badly. So I'm trying to throw in something here. I just have a feeling that I'm not looking forward to Jordan Everly. But okay, let's move on. We'll see next week how dumb I look. Also worth noting, Ryan Pulak picked up a power play goal and a power play assist yesterday, both from the second power play unit in his third game of the year. And also Pulak played 16 minutes and three seconds yesterday compared to his less than 10 minutes in his first two games. So definitely keep our eye on Ryan Pulak. Like, I don't know if you add him just yet because he's still not getting big, big minutes and he's still on the second power play, but he's clearly producing at least on the power play. He seems good at least in that role as a power play defenseman. Oh, and Brian, I guess just to be mean, I'll point out that since you mentioned Andrew Ladd last week as being someone who was doing okay, he's pointless in three games. I hope no one added him because you brought him up. It was very tongue-in-cheek. Oh, that you brought him up last week? I don't think so. I think you should go back and listen. You sounded pretty serious. <laughs> well, no, I was just throwing him out there. Someone, like, it's been that way forever, though. I don't think you should ever run and grab Andrew Ladd 
uh, I, I hear, okay, maybe I have no excuses. Maybe the caveat was not strong enough. <laughs> okay, let's go to Florida now. First of all, no changes to the forwards to report. Dadanov is still on line one in power play one with Barkov and Huberdeau and then Trocek on the power play. I love myself some Evgeny Dadanov. He's been so good. He had a power play goal yesterday along with an assist. He's up to 11 points in 10 games played. He, For me, he's right now our call of the year, I think, if you want to join in with me. Like last year, we had hashtag Team Wierenski. The year before, we had hashtag Team Panarin. This year, I'm hashtag Team Dadanov. Just, we called it. We said he'd be good, and he's been so, so good. Like I said, 11 points in 10 games. By the way, Trocek and Huberdo also have 11 points. Barkov trailing only 10 points in 11 games. Of course, I'm joking around. He's like fantastic. I'm loving all of these guys. The big change to report with Florida Lions is that Aaron Ekblad has bumped Keith Yandel from the top power play with all those studs. So you've got Ekblad with Dadanov, Barkov, Huberdo, and Trocek. And this seems like great news for Ekblad if he can hold the spot. He had a power play since yesterday. Surprisingly, no points in the 8-3 win over Anaheim on Thursday. But whatever, might be a good time to try to buy low on Ekblad if his owner hasn't realized this line change yet because he hasn't you know picked up a ton of points yet but meanwhile Keith Yandel has five points in 10 games on the season doesn't help in any other peripherals that hasn't changed of course like shots blocks hits he's not going to help you there might be time to consider dropping Keith Yandel if he doesn't get back on power play one so I guess my two questions to you are time to grab Aaron Eckblad if you can and also maybe should people become less and less interested in Keith Yandel if he's going to be off that top power play we did say this could happen for Aaron Eckblad over our first couple shows of the year when it became apparent that Eckblad was hot while Yandel was decidedly not. I wouldn't act too rashly with Yandel. I expect your replacement options in free agency are pretty underwhelming and that dropping him outright isn't the best idea. You could certainly mope and be anxious about it, though, and keep an eye out for better options. But just to be clear, I'm not calling that top power play blue line spot taken away for good by Ekblad. And even if Yandel can still keep up a half point per game pace, that isn't so bad. Uh, The thing with Yandel is that you can't expect anything more than that, especially if he's off that top unit, including don't expect that peripheral help, which he hasn't really offered for two years going on three now. He used to be a great shooter, really can't expect more than a couple per game from him, which is good for a defenseman, but not as good as you'd think for Keith Yandel. And Brian, are you on board? Hashtag Team Dadanov? On board. I, I own him in, I think I own him in three leagues. Nice. High yeah. five. I have him in the couple. Very happy about that. So good. Okay. Things have switched up a bit in St. Louis. At the start of the year, they were running this line of Tarasenko, Stasny, and Sabatka. And then I think we talked about it last week. Alex Steen came back and he bumped Sabatka from that line. But now, like, forget about it. Everything has been shaken up. Sabatka is back on the line with Stasny, but Tarasenko's gone. So now basically it's the second line. We've got Stasny, Steen, and Sabatka as the second line. And then a big front-loaded Tarasenko, Jaden Schwartz, and Braden Shen on line one. So obviously that's not great for Paul Stasny. He's also been bumped from the top power play in favor of Alex Steen. On the plus side, Paul Stasny still picked up an assist yesterday, and he has five points in his last five games. I don't know, Brian, is this another Jordan Everly situation? Like, I definitely don't think you should drop him. By the way, I didn't mean to say you should definitely drop Jordan Everly. But anyways, like, is it time to try to sell high on someone like Paul Stasny while he still has 11 points in 12 games overall? Like, he's had a huge, amazing start to the year, but obviously something to be concerned about if he's off the top line and off the top power play. I didn't even realize as I was writing this up, really strong parallel between Paul Stasny and Jordan Everly right now. Well, this is what you're in for with Paul Stasny, though, and he warned of it when he first started getting that production. The danger of Paul Stasny is that he's a really well-rounded, quality hockey player. So wherever the team needs him, 
they can put him. And if that's not on the top scoring line, then it's not on the top scoring line and his production will suffer and he'll bounce back and forth over the course of the year. So if you own him, I don't know if you can sell high on him, but you should at least consider him compared to the free agent options if there is anyone seeing better deployment at the moment. And then you can just keep an eye out. And when he gets back on that top power play, you can add him right back because he is pretty good when he's in that spot. Hmm. So it seems like you're saying you can drop Paul Stasny even though he's been doing pretty good because he's off the top power play, but you don't feel the same about Jordan Eberle? No, because Paul Stasny has been moved off. Like He's been deployed all around the lineup for a couple years now. Whereas Jordan Eberle, I have no idea how long it's going to be that he's on the second line. I'm not saying drop Paul Stasny. Don't get me wrong. This is like in a shallow league where there are some free agent options who are on the top power play unit. Yeah, lines aren't everything also. Like, obviously for both of them, if they're doing well, they're doing well. And maybe things can get shaken up again. The obvious winners here in St. Louis are Schwartz and Braden Shen, who are both already having fantastic seasons. And now they get up to play with Vladimir Tarasenko at even strength. Schwartz is up to 15 points in 12 games. Do you think he can hit 70? Like, he's looking so good. And also, we've got Dauber, who famously predicted 70 points for Braden Shen. And some of us thought that was a little high, but he's got 10 points in 12 games so far. That's a 68-point pace. Could be close. As big a fan as I am of Jaden Schwartz, he actually seems like the sell-high guy compared to Braden Shen. So if I have to bank on one of them to get to 70 points right now, it's going to be Shen. Yeah, Dauber's looking pretty good for that prediction. We weren't believers. I still don't know that I'm sold, but it's looking better than I imagined. Yeah, top line, top power play with a high-scoring team playing with Vladimir Tarasenko, who's been doing great. Yeah, it uh, wasn't the craziest idea. All right, let's go to Chicago now. Usually when someone gets on the line with Patrick Kane, it's like big news, and we say jump and add that guy. But lately, none of the Chicago like side players have been doing anything especially noteworthy. Like It's pretty quiet over there. The Hawks have lost actually three in a row in five of their last six games. Like what's going? Before we get into the players, like what's going on over there? Is it maybe time to buy low on Crawford like it's kind of weird Crawford has a 935 save percentage she's been great but only five wins in 10 games overall and like I said hardly any wins lately are you concerned about what's going on in Chicago or is now the time to try to grab Crawford if you can it's been a little surprising as to how much they've struggled especially while Corey Crawford has held it together on that end of things Uh, I was trying to see if Chicago had been shooting poorly on the year the answer is no they're near 10 percent shooting as a team, and that is good for sixth overall in the league, which means they should actually see some regression there. I actually haven't looked at the game-by-game numbers to see if that regression has actually started over the recent games. They're just paying for the success that they had previously. You know, you've, you've asked so many times about who else is worth owning on that team. Is that question coming too? Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, Always. so so I guess I don't know. I'm going to preempt your question and say you've got Kane, you've got Taves, you've got Brandon Saad. And then you've got maybe out of free agency, cycle them in when you see good things happening from Panic, Schmaltz, Hayden, Hartman, Debrinkit got a turn on the top line. No, I hear you. Yeah, that, let me give people the update. But yeah, no real answers here right now. Like I said, it's kind of disappointing right now to be playing even with Patrick Kane, who's doing fine overall, not like as exciting as he's been in previous years. Anyway, okay. So earlier this week, like you mentioned, Debrinkit was bumped up to the Taves line. That didn't last. Uh, now we're looking at, in the last game at least, Taves, Panic, and Sod. So back to the same first line as before. But then Patrick Kane with Schmaltz and Hayden. So not Hartman, Hayden. Hartman is down to the bottom six now, along with Debrinkit. So I guess forget about them. 
John Hayden, he has two points in three games in his last three. Uh, barely any shots, low minutes. I can't imagine he'll be staying on that line for long considering how badly Chicago lost yesterday. Schmaltz scored a goal yesterday. Overall, hasn't done much. Panic, by the way, is pointless in three games. He had a really strong start to the year. At this point, yeah, I think aside from, just like what you said, aside from Kane and Taves and Saad, none of these guys are especially exciting. I guess you could watch and see who's going to go on a hot streak. I like the idea of Schmaltz centering Patrick Kane, but it could maybe be an Anisimov situation where even if he centers him all year, he's not especially fantasy relevant. He might have good stretches though, because Patrick Kane is still a really good player. Okay, let's go to another team who has had their lines shaken up this time because a new player has come into the picture. Andreas Athanasiu has finally rejoined the Detroit Red Wings after his contract dispute ended, cost him the first three weeks of the season, but Athanasiu is back and he actually scored a goal yesterday in his second game back with the team. He actually had five shots on goal overall in his first two games. That's pretty good, like two and three shots. So Athanasiu is playing on a line with Larkin and Mantha. Then the top line, at least yesterday, was Zetterberg with Nyquist and Tatar. But overall, the offense is starting to slow down for all of these Red Wings. Like, they all started pretty hot, but they only have six goals overall as a team in their last four games. Right now, Gustav Nyquist, I guess, is the guy on the best run. He has four points in his last three games. He had seven shots yesterday versus Florida, which is really nice. Anthony Mantha, he's slowed down. He only has two points in his last seven. Dylan Larkin has one assist in his last four games. He's had seven straight games with no more than two shots on goal. Even Henrik Zetterberg is pointless in four after starting the year with nine points in his first eight games. Like Mike Green is pointless in three games. So everyone's slowing down. I'd be curious to know in general, like where you rank Athanasiu. Do you think he's good? Is he someone worth adding? Or is he just like another guy in this group of guys? Seems to me like the Red Wings team that we're seeing is the team we should expect throughout the year. Like there's going to be random spurts every once in a while from all of these guys that I've mentioned. And there's also going to be spurts where none of them are really worth owning, maybe with the exception of Zetterberg, maybe Mike Green, even though even they are showing us that they can slow down. I feel like a lot of people are still holding on to Dylan Larkin and Anthony Mantha after their really strong starts. Maybe those guys can be considered streaming options at this point. I'm going to call Andres Athanasiu part of the clump. It's frustrating, by the way. Nyquist, I've added and dropped him more than anyone this year. Maybe four or five times I've streamed him in and out of my lineup, and he did nothing pretty much the whole time. And even when he was in free agency, he was doing nothing. But now that he's actually on someone else's team, he's gotten going anyway. That's not interesting to you, probably. I've got Zetterberg being someone you want to have. Uh, Nyquist probably has a good shot. Mantha as well. After them, I'd say it's pretty much even between everyone. I'm not overly excited about Andreas Athanasiu. I like that he's someone who seems to have a bit of a scoring touch, but is pretty unproven and his shooting percentages weren't necessarily looking sustainable from whatever success he did have last year. So yeah, I have him decidedly in the clump of Detroit players. By the way, if you haven't dropped Martin Furk yet, he's snoozing. He's been snoozing for a mm. while. I think everyone's dropped Martin Furk. Now I'd say you're snoozing on Dylan Larkin if you still have him. And you said you said you're still high on Anthony Mantha, but I don't know. He's in the clump also. I'm not too excited about him right now. Oh, Detroit, they can't score goals. Christmas with the clumps. Okay. <laughs> uh, let's end the show with our lightning round, like some random hot streaks and cold streaks. We can't do this show without mentioning Clayton Keller. God damn, he scored again yesterday. He's on a five-game point streak. He has 12 points in 11 games. He's leading all rookies right now. Of course he is, though actually it's kind of a tight race. It was really interesting today, Brian. I looked at the list of leading rookie scorers so far in the season. Like I said, we've got Clayton Keller with 12 points. Then we have Butcher, who has 11 points in 10 games, all assists. He actually had two assists in the last two games that New Jersey played. So we were saying he was starting to slow down, but clearly he's still going to put up some points sometimes. Uh, Bratt also 
on New Jersey. He has 10 points in 10 games. He's doing well in Palmieri's absence. Palmieri has been injured. And we predicted that he got into the top six and got decent power play time while Palmieri was injured before. And he's doing it again. It looks like Marcus Johansson could be injured. He missed the last game. So maybe Brat gets to stay in the top six, even if Palmieri comes back. So definitely someone to watch. And yeah, like I said, he's got 10 points in 10 games. Uh, Sergachev has 10 points in 12 games. We already talked about him. He's been great. Brock Besser, we already mentioned him. Nine points in eight games. Then you have Kempi, who we've already mentioned this episode. Nine points in 11 games, though. I should remind people, four of his nine points were in one game versus Montreal. So I don't know if I would count him as staying in that group. McAvoy, by the way, on Boston, eight points in nine games. Only three pointless games all year. So another one of these really consistent guys. Charlie McAvoy just keeps pouring in the assist. Then you still have guys like Hishir and Barzil and Verana, though we've kind of called him a snoozer at this point. So it's a really fun group of rookies this year. But Clayton Keller is at the top of them. He's so awesome. But Arizona sucks. They've yet to win a game this year. Ranta still injured. He was put on the IR today, though I was reading that he's been skating. So maybe this was more of a paper move so they can move people around. He's eligible to come back at any time since the IR designation is retroactive of when he got injured. Anyway, they already made a change. Louis Demang is finally gone. He's been having a horrible season. 856 save percentage. Aiden Hill hasn't been much better, by the way, with an 880 save percentage. Anyway, so Demang has been waived. Uh, Arizona traded for Scott Wedgwood from New Jersey. So I'd imagine what's going to happen now is Anti-Ranta is going to be the starter when he's healthy. Scott Wedgwood will be the backup. Aiden Hill goes back to the minors and Demang probably goes back to the minors. I can't imagine that too many people are looking to claim him off waivers. I guess we'll see. But yeah, you'd imagine like Arizona has to do better. Their goaltending has been so bad. Like I said, both of their goalies have been giving them sub 900 save percentages. Hopefully Ranta can come back, settle in, do at least average. And I think that'll mean something really good for Arizona. So now, like we said on the mailbag show last week, this could be the last chance to get Ranta on the cheap. For sure. Yeah, we, we I've gone on at length about why I expect Arizona to bounce back. So I won't anymore i will say though wedgwood would be a pretty good short-term ad for you you might remember that he had a nice little run uh in 2015 2016 he in four games he had a 957 save percentage with new jersey uh, n- nice little battle with keith kincaid i think while schneider was injured so uh I, look he can't be worse than Domingue or aiden hill so if you owned any of those guys then you absolutely should just grab Wedgwood until Ranta comes back, which, yes, will hopefully be very soon. Okay, and speaking of goalies, and actually speaking of our mailbag show, I brought that up. So last week, hopefully you realize, of listeners of the show, that we released our patron mailbag show to the general public last week to give you a taste. I hope you guys liked it. And yeah, we talked about a few things on that show, including that Antony Yemi was waived by Pittsburgh and he got picked up by Florida. It'll be really fun to see how badly he flames out in his first game there. But anyway, so now Pittsburgh ended up calling up this guy, Casey DeSmith, who's now going to be the backup to Matt Murray. And we've been seeing a taste of what Casey DeSmith can give you today because Pittsburgh is getting destroyed. It's currently 7-1 for Winnipeg. There's like five minutes left in the game. Matt Murray started the game, let in four goals on nine shots, got pulled. Now Casey DeSmith hasn't been much better. He's let in three goals on 11 shots in relief. So hopefully it's just a case where like, the Penguins are out of it this game and their defense hasn't been good or, or whatever. It doesn't look like uh, either of these goalies are having a good outing today. But Brian, is there any value in Casey DeSmith going forward? Like I'd imagine some people in deeper leagues were wanting to have the backup goalie on Pittsburgh. They had Niemi and he was killing them. Is Casey DeSmith going to kill you as bad as Niemi? Or is he someone you could rely on to be a decent spot start whenever he plays? Maybe not against Winnipeg. Who knows? Undrafted goalie 
no NHL experience. He's been in the Penguin system for a few years now. He just turned 26. There's really not a whole lot to say about him. Although two years ago, in 2016-17, he had a 926 save percentage in the AHL, which is pretty good. And so far this year, early returns are pretty good in three starts. He'd only given up three goals, 965 save percentage. He stopped 83 of 86 shots. So if you're going to give somebody a try, I, I definitely would have been happy to give him a try over Niemi just based on his numbers from last season in the minors. Well, yeah, and based on Niemi's numbers last year and this year, give anyone a try over Antti Niemi. Uh, okay, Brian, let's end the show. I'm just going to bring up a few slumping top power play defensemen. Some of them we've already brought up over the past few weeks. Just want to get your sense on if anything has changed for you. It's so hard to suggest dropping or selling low on a top power play defenseman on their team because they're so rare in the league. But at this point, it's October... 29th and Justin Falk he actually scored a goal today so overall though only one goal and two assists in 10 games now a lot lower than we expected we also had six shots today so maybe his goal today lets us push him back a week before we get even more concerned about him we have Rasmus Ristolainen on Buffalo only four assists in 12 games so far Oscar Clefbaum still not doing much two assists in 10 games Tori Krug just has one goal and one assist in eight games even though Charlie McAvoy keeps producing almost every game do we just stay patient with all of these guys are there any red flags you seen aside from what their owners are hoping for like the owners are hoping that you're just going to say it's been bad luck so far we think it's going to improve is there anything different to say or do you still feel the same about Ristolainen, Clefbaum, Krug, Falk as you did let's say two weeks ago well I mentioned Krug and his his Corsi four percentages were way down in the dumps Ristolainen definitely underwhelming production so far compared to what you hoped for at the start of the year but all of Buffalo has been disappointing so it's hard to judge him when the whole team is struggling. Then Clefbaum, we've talked about his shot rates keeping up, and that's a positive sign. Justin Falk with six shots today. That's really great. How can you be upset with him after that? So uh, even if they were all struggling, it's a hard question to ask. Like, should you stay patient with them? Because what are you really supposed to do about it? You don't really want to, you're not going to get a fair return if you try to sell them. You probably don't want to drop them for nothing unless you're in the shallowest of leagues. So just, uh, just hold on. Keep hoping for the best. Maybe you can package. If you're out of patience, package them in with another piece in a deal. But none of them, I feel, after 10 games is someone that you, yeah, you want to really sell for undervalue. Yeah, I feel like this is almost for sure going to happen. There's going to be a future episode of Keeping Carlson where we're going to be like, Rasmus Ristolainen, he's got five points in his last six games. Man, I really hope back in October people didn't drop him when he started the year so slow. Like, I feel like something like that's going to happen. Or we'll say he's off the top power play because he sucked so much and then he will just be a huge disappointment. But I don't really see that happening. Same with those other guys. As long as they're in that spot, like you say, you can't really do much about it. Just hope that things will improve soon. Brian, that's it. That's all my list of stuff I wanted to bring up this week. This has been a lot of fun. It sure has, as always. I don't know what else to say. Uh, all right. Well, then why don't I just go ahead and thank all the listeners for tuning in. We are going to keep doing this all season long. Every Sunday, There's we never run out of content, right? Every week, we get so many new players. You think at some point we've already talked about all these players, but no, I keep on having like too many players that I want to talk about, and I have to end up cutting people. But that's what also our patron mailbag show is for, which also happens every week. So, to recap all the things that I generally say at the end of a show, thanks for listening. If you want to keep listening, you, know, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes or uh, Google Player or whatever. That's always nice. If you could give us a review on one of those services, like an iTunes five-star review, is really helpful and we really appreciate it. If you want to support the show, 
uh, like monetarily, you can become a patron of Keeping Carlson. We really appreciate it. Even if you could just throw us five bucks a month, that's a beer for Brian or I once a month that will like fight over who gets that beer. And in exchange, we're not just asking for money for nothing, right? We're going to give you a free extra show every week. We've actually got our ma- big patron cast show this week. So normally we do mailbag show, which is like a half hour, but patron cast, we answer every question that we get. Then also there's other perks. If you want to donate a little more, you know, you get to join our patron only Facebook group. We share our show notes every week, this detailed set of notes for the show. We even have a perk where we can chat with you on like Facebook or whatever and give you fantasy advice directly. So check it out. Keeping slash patron. See if there's anything there for you, but okay. With that, Brian, let's cue the outro music. And why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? All right, this episode of the Keeping Carlson Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our patrons, including our newest ones, Kevin B., Dave A., Lucas F., Michael M., a couple welcome backs in there. Thanks for uh, for joining us again. And by the way, I know for anybody who has signed up for the stickers perk uh, with November 1st, that's we're, we're going to send them out on the first of the month or, or thereabouts. So uh, keep an eye on your mail probably in like three weeks from now by the time Canada Post gets around to delivering them. But okay, this show was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Corsica, The Athletic, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Fantrax. Great job as always, Brian, and we'll catch you all with another regular episode next week. And you can join us live, keepingcarlson.com slash live. It's fun. Until then, keep on keeping Carlson.